Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as the best insight and analysis into all the topics you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry, and with me is Duncan Castles, as always. And later in this particular pod, we'll be asking when does the dressing room have to take responsibility for getting the manager the sack? And also, after England's defeat first in qualifying campaign for Euro 2020, the cry was no defenders. But as always, we like to start by bringing you big news. Duncan, and you have some for us regarding the future of Mercy Pochettino and possibly Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. We told you in the podcast last week that um, that Gunnar Solskjaer's uh, future at Manchester United was being reviewed essentially on a game-by-game basis by the Glazers and Ed Woodward. Um, and uh, obviously, when you're reviewing on a game-by-game basis, you start looking at alternative candidates. Um, we've also charted the troubles at Tottenham Hotspur um, the, um, the very poor start to the season there, the issues within the dressing room and the discontent that Pochettino has with his uh, chairman and chief executive, Daniel Levy, um, the recruitment that was made over the summer and um, the sense of uh, perhaps regret that he decided to remain with Tottenham uh, last summer and was persuaded to remain with Tottenham. What I can tell you is that um, the information I have from someone close to Pochettino is that he has very much targeted a new job. Um, he has uh, in his head, he has made the decision that he will be moving on from Tottenham Hotspur. Um, I think it's dependent on how that uh, uh, finishes for him there, whether he sees out the season or not. But um, he sees that he has run his course at Tottenham and is looking to move um, to a new club. And the club I'm told that he is targeting as his next job is Manchester United. Um, This, of course, is in in many ways an obvious move. Um, Pochettino was targeted by Manchester United both when they um, sacked Louis van Gaal and uh, replaced him with Jose Mourinho. Pochettino was the alternative candidate, shied away from taking the job at that time. Um, Wasn't actually offered it at that time, but uh, uh, discussions were had with the club. Obviously, very much the leading contender when Mourinho was sacked. Um, Then Solskjaer came in as an interim appointment, had that tremendous opening run of results was made permanent manager uh, and Pochettino's uh, opportunity then faded into the background. But um, given the situation now, given uh, what most people perceive as being uh, beyond the beginning of the end for Solskjaer, very close to the end for Solskjaer, United need to um, make a big step change in, in the leadership of the club 
um, they need to present the supporters with a compelling candidate as an ex-manager. Pochettino, despite this difficult start to the season, is very much regarded as uh, one of the top coaches in world football and therefore um, would be very sellable, I think, to the supporters um, as a as a means of playing the kind of football that United uh, want to play. We, we, we saw that briefing from Manchester United last week about dynamic, attractive, X-factor X um, football. Um, they can very much sell Pochettino is a man who can provide them that. He has a history of um, bringing young players through, both at Southampton and Tottenham. Again, that fits the model that uh, Manchester United have, have built and are selling to the supporters as the way forward. Um, attractive football. So ticks a lot of boxes and you can see um, why uh, Pochettino would be uh, prioritising Manchester United as the place to move on from when he leaves Tottenham. Given as well, Duncan, that um, up until obviously the odd events we can say of last spring when uh, United appointed Ole Gunnar Solskjaer into an, in, uh, well, they appointed him full time uh, and uh, also Real Madrid, the other suitor for Pochettino's talent, uh, brought back Zinedine Zidane. If you look at the two clubs in terms of where they are right now, um, You'd have to say that United is probably a better option in the sense that it's a low bar uh, for success for Pochettino to improve. And he has improved uh, ostensibly um, both Southampton and Tottenham Hotspur in his time in the Premier League. So he would be, I'd have thought, the obvious candidate. Interesting to me, though, that if Real Madrid was to open up, he would prefer Manchester United. I'm guessing... That because, of course, the life of any Real Madrid manager is very limited in terms of his employment. Whereas um, this chop change strategy that Edward Wood and the Glazers have uh, been in, in charge of, uh, fairly shambolic since Ferguson's retirement in 2013, um, may need to be brought to a close. And therefore, Pochettino possibly, possibly, as long as results obviously got better, would get more time at United to establish and possibly win a trophy um, than any of his pre predecessors in the last six years. And also, it would give him time to think about Real Madrid in the future. Still a young man, obviously, so it doesn't need to rush his career. Yes, he does. I mean, he, he, he's very clear that long term, his expectation and his ambition is to, to manage Real Madrid. Um so you could ask the question, why not Real Madrid now? Well, I think both of these jobs are very difficult jobs. They're, you're, you're taking clubs in in difficult situations with um, with dressing rooms that have issues. Um, imbalanced squads, I think, is a key thing in, in both cases. Um, Real Madrid clearly have a problem with the midfield. Um, didn't do everything Zidane wanted them to do in the summer transfer market, didn't do everything that Florentino Perez, with his different ambitions, wanted to do in the in the summer transfer market. Um, so lots of work to, to be done there. And as ever, a huge level of expectation at Real Madrid. You do not get away with not winning things um, for a very long period there, um, because the pressure will come on from the supporters, the media and from the president. Um, 
we've told you that uh, Jose Mourinho is very much lined up by Florentino Perez as the replacement for Zidane um, uh, when that dismissal comes. And we told you that essentially Zidane is um, living on the oxygen uh, of having to get result after result after result, struggling in the Champions League. Um, currently top of La Liga, but they are because primarily because the uh, Barcelona are struggling and other teams in in, uh, in La Liga haven't taken up the opportunity to go top. There hasn't been any great conviction about those Madrid performances. So um, I think that's an element in his thinking. And Manchester United, yeah, as you say, um, the, the path to recovery, the, the sort of low bar it is obvious, you know, uh, Solskjaer has led them to their worst league start in over three decades during the period he's been in charge of the club. He's run up a, a run of results that was the worst in his entire lifetime. Um, just two wins in the last 13 Premier League games, scored more than one goal just once in the last 17 matches. Um, remarkable statistic that, that since he was appointed full-time manager, as the club phrases it, he has not won a single away game as, as Manchester United full-time manager, which is unbelievable, really. Now that so, sounds to me not X-factor, Duncan. It sounds more like XXX-factor. Yes. <laughs> if you get my meaning. <laughs> soon to be X-factor. Um, yeah, yeah, EX. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so it's not hard to improve on that. As, as we have said in the podcast, uh, that there's there's kind of a defence of Solskjaer that no one could do well under the current structure. Ed Woodward is the problem, the Glazers are the problem, therefore the manager doesn't make a difference. I think that's just wrong. Um, you put a better manager in place, you get better results than have been achieved by the current Manchester United manager. Remember, this is a, a club who were second in the Premier League um, the season before last. And they're now in the bottom half of the Premier League, two points off relegation after eight games, 15 points um, behind Liverpool after eight matches, a you know, 15-point gap that had Jose Mourinho castigated for running up between uh, Manchester United and Manchester City in a, a, a supposed condemnation of his, of his football. You can get more. You can certainly get more out of this current squad. You can certainly get more out of the resources at Manchester United if you um, train the players better, don't cause the kind of soft muscle injuries that um, Solskjaer's training regime has produced. If you have more intelligent recruitment, don't build your team purely to pay, play fast, counter-attacking football, give yourself no tactical options and, and have only two um, experienced forwards in your squad and then end up playing Jesse Lingard. Um, as your central attacker off the bench um, very early in the season. There, there are lots of easy gains there. And Pochettino has a lot of experience now. Um, and uh, as we say, he, he has a lot of those elements that United say they're looking for in terms of developing youth. Um, so there's the attraction. There's the, there's the opportunity to go in and turn things around at a club. You know you will have a very significant budget. Um, Manchester United all have a very large wage bill and they always spend a reasonable amount of money in the transfer market. You would expect a new manager coming in to be granted um, significant spending, 
United have been briefing recently that they they see um, the the squad needing a lot of additional work, um, as many as eight new players to come in over the course of uh, of transfer windows. Um, and uh, again, that is an opportunity for an ambitious manager um, to make a change and uh, and and uh, be seen as a success. All our listeners uh, will remember, Duncan, of course, that we broke news of Manchester United's interest in Leicester City attacking midfielder James Madison in May uh, before the transfer window even opened. And we can report today that they've been joined in the race for Madison's signature by Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, It's our understanding that um, there has been no new negotiations or talks between Christian Eriksen's representatives and uh, the White Arling Club. And... Ericsson has indicated fairly clearly that he wants to move, whether it's January or next summer, he will be leaving. Daniel Levy, um, as we know, is not a man who um, would like to let a player leave for free if he can sell him. So what they've done is they thought, OK, we can try and get our valuation for Ericsson in January's window. Uh, we're, I'd say that's a realistic uh, sort of view on their part. And then reinvest that money in 22-year-old Madison, who has made a sensational uh, sort of impact in Leicester City both last season and this. Um, I think Duncan, the kind of player that Madison is, he, he does a very quick turnover of the ball. He's good on the dribble. He, he can see the pass and make the pass in terms of you know, putting players in. I think he'd probably be a very good fit for Spurs. Yes, although. <sighs> It's interesting in the sense that they have bought their number 10, Giovanni Lo Celso, uh, in the summer. So you, you see Madison's best position as being number 10. So, um, however, you can also play him across that attacking line um, behind the forward. Um, and you have to say that Madison, 22 years old, um, just about to become a full England international, um, very much in that category of player that that Daniel Levy has always liked to acquire, um, uh, player who who you would expect to further progress, and whose value you'd expect to increase going forward. So it ticks those boxes uh, as a Tottenham signing. Um, the question you would have is, uh, what kind of money would it take to do it? Um, particularly with Manchester United um, retaining an interest in the player and he being very much in the profile of player that Ed Woodward is um, is championing at the moment. Um, so I can see the interest. Um, I'm not sure I can see that Tottenham can turn this into reality with competition from Manchester United for a player like Madison unless they can sell the 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 proposal to Madison as you come to Tottenham, you'd be surrounded by better players. We make you central to the plan. Um, you have more chance of winning something at Tottenham than you do at, at Manchester United. Um, so choose us over them. Again, you can do that, but you've still got to convince Leicester City to um, accept a transfer fee for a player who's become very central to, to Brendan Rodgers' plans. And who is very central to what is looking like a um, coherent challenge to to win a Champions League place um, next season. I agree with you. As we, we said before, Leicester City is uh, an unusual um, project uh, for 
what's a traditionally middle tier club in the Premier League because they don't need to sell, but given the uh, the resources of the owners, hence it was only Harry Maguire forcing his his own transfer, um, and as well as the the you know, huge fee that Manchester had paid. Um, that allowed that transfer to go through. Um, Madison, um, we know, is a despite maybe the odd night out somewhere where he shouldn't be, is uh, a considered intelligent young man. Uh, wants to look after his own career very carefully. Hence, when Manchester United came calling uh, last transfer window, he made it clear that he wanted to uh, compete with under twenty ones uh, England and didn't want to um, think about any kind of move. Uh, and he also wanted uh, reassurances directly from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer about his game time and where he would play in that team. Um, I doubt very much he'll have changed his mind since then, especially as his profile has actually increased. Um, as you mentioned, he is on the verge of an England cap, uh, obviously was sent home with a virus before the game uh, last Friday night in Prague. and um, But will, no doubt, make his England, full England debut in the next few weeks the next international break in November. So this is a young man who is happy at his club, who uh, wants his career to develop in the right way. He does not want to be stuck on a bench somewhere because, as you point out, Duncan Lo Celso has yet to make, even you know, make a start to his Tottenham career. As well as the fact you've got people like Deli Ali as well there, who has almost become a forgotten man. Um, I think United would be probably a better fit given uh, the way that they play or the way they might play under Pochettino. Um, again, <laughs> should, that, should that happen sooner rather than later? So a lot of question marks there. Um, interestingly, though, and we talked a little bit uh, already about um, the situations that Solskjaer and Pochettino find themselves in. And of course, Marco Silva, another Premier League manager, Duncan, who is under pressure. Um, despite the amount of money that's been invested in the, the Everton side that uh, he takes charge of. But given the situation that uh, we saw when uh, things went south for Jose Mourinho at Old Trafford, um, the situation we've been reporting since the start of the season with player unrest at Tottenham Hotspur because Pochettino's attitude has changed, given what we know about Marcus Silva's uh, relationship with his players as well, regarding um, not seeming to be able to pick his best team nor indeed get the best out of those players. The question has to be asked sometimes as when did the dressing room, when did these players who are paid millions of pounds per year to play, when did they take responsibility for the fact that managers get the sack? Because uh, you know, there's one certainty in life if you're a football manager and that is that you, you will end up being sacked by your club. Um, you know, as much as bankers uh, will certainly get rewarded for failure, so football managers because they'll get their contracts paid up, but they'll still be sacked. But players seem to get away with it. And you know, you were very close to what happened uh, at United when um, Mourinho was forced out. Um, and if you can tell us a little bit about that, then I'll give get, let the listeners know a little bit about how AVB was forced out of Chelsea as well in 2012 um, by. Uh, player power, if you like. Yes, look, I think in the modern football, it is very, very easy for players to force the hands of their clubs and and have the manager changed. And it's simply the sheer cost of changing the dressing room versus changing the man in charge of the dressing room. I mean, we are talking, um, in the case of Mourinho, um, a payoff, uh, uh, including his support staff in the region of £20 million um, that it cost Manchester United to, to make that decision. But if the alternative is to strip out 
key individuals in the dressing room, or in, in, in his case, um, to give him significant signings in the transfer window that preceded um, his sacking, uh, to keep him happy. And, uh, and, and his argument would be to have got better results. Then it's clear what, where the, the more expensive cost is. And, and that gives the, the players this, this immense protection that um, once they see the manager's position being questioned by the club, once they see the manager being attacked in the media and question marks over um, whether a change is required, I think it's very difficult for a manager to get them back on board because they can essentially decide, um, I'm not going to put as much effort in on the pitch. I'm not going to follow tactical instruction. Um, if I've got an injury, um, I will be you know, a marginal injury. I will be less willing to push myself to get to be a, make myself available to play. Um, it's very easy for performance to drop off the elite levels that are needed to consistently win in the Premier League, um, both both technically um, and physically. Uh, and if you if you start running less, uh, and particularly if you stop if you stop running to the right positions and following the right players and, and following the manager's instructions, then results go south rapidly, and eventually the board will decide um, to let the manager go. And and I think in Manchester United's case, there was there was direct contact. I've been told between significant players uh, in the dressing room and the chief executive to suggest that Mourinho's time was up and a change was required. And um, that contact came in the awareness that Ed Woodward was not happy with his manager, not happy with the way he behaved um, during the summer and the pressure that had been put on the club to make transfers. And the way he was acting around the, the, the training ground and acting um, at the club um, and sort of the, the atmosphere that was being produced by that discontent uh, so once the signal came from the players that they would prefer a change, um, it became easy to execute and and was very effective. You have to say that that run of results that 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 was produced when Solskjaer came in, um, giving the players their head to a certain extent, but but making them believe in themselves again, telling them they were great, um, taking the shackles off was was part of the way um, he started playing. Um, it produced results, so you can understand why why players do it and why um, clubs uh, decide to go along that route when they're offered that route by the players as an opportunity to to change manager. And to go back to your que- question of when they take responsibility, I, I don't think it happens very often. To don't be ever do they? <laughs> it's Pro- true. Poss- possibly only when the new manager comes in. Um, and uh, and he has the authority and the power and the backing because because the the, the club is now bought into him because they've made that that change. That's the time when when players take responsibility for the performances because they know they have to um, adhere to what the new manager wants uh, at least for a, a certain period uh, if they want to play football. Well, a couple of things to add to that, Duncan. Um, you made me just uh, remember a social media tweet from probably Manchester United's most influential player in the dressing room, uh, one Mr. Paul Pogba, last week, at the end of last week, which I thought 
was both ill-advised and also quite strange. What do Manchester United fans think about their 300 grand a week central midfielder going to Dubai, apparently, to help his recovery from his ankle injury, which has kept him out of the last two games, um, with his own sort of personal trainer, etc., tweeting pictures of him on a you know a gym bike in the sunshine, looking across to the uh, the skyline, etc. And I'm thinking, okay, um, wouldn't we be better off actually getting rehab with United's medical um, specialists than simply jetting off to the sunshine um, with a personal trainer? Uh, apparently to help an ankle injury heal. That just seems a little bit odd, but it does show you the influence that a player of that calibre has, not just at his club, but over his club. If that was his decision to go, and they thought, we don't want to upset him, therefore we'll just say yes. Just say on the Pogba personal trainer issue, remember that Pogba's use of a personal trainer was one of the reasons that um, Mourinho and his technical staff felt he suffered um, that extremely unusual um, and quite severe hamstring tear he had in um, the second season at, uh, at at Manchester United, Mourinho's second season, Pogba's second season at Manchester United, when the team had started exceptionally well um, and were looking like genuine competitors for the Premier League title, uh, took Pogba out for, if I remember correctly, three months. Um, and there was significant um, discontent between Mourinho and Pogba over the use of a personal trainer, and the the, the feeling was that um, he was the personal trainer was 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 involving Pogba in additional work that was overloading um, his muscles and contributed to an injury which you normally never see. You usually only see hamstring injuries when a player sprinting at full speed. That hamstring injury was caused when when uh, Pogba was turning on the ball in possession. So um, it looks very good sometimes having a personal trainer and doing work in the summer and uh, posting social media images of the of the extra work you're doing and a lot of footballers like to do it but this is actually uh, has become quite a significant problem within Premier League dressing rooms and I've talked to uh, physical specialists at other clubs who, who say it's, it's a real issue um, trying to limit the amount of work players do um, and ensure that the work they do is all controlled um, so that they don't um, suffer injuries uh, in, in ways that could be avoided if you were using a, a club-monitored um, and solely club-structured um, training programme. And it's important as well, Duncan, to um, remember that clubs pay millions of pounds uh, to tech companies now to input the data that they have. And remember, the data they have on every single member of their squad is quite immense in terms of its content. And then they create bespoke software to ensure that um, the player's training regime both collectively and individually, is monitored and governed specifically by their biometrics, by the length of their hamstrings, their pot view, their um, the way that they've suffered soft tissue or muscle injuries in the past, mm. et cetera, et cetera. And they actually, this software is, is clever enough to predict when a player needs to be rested and do less training or when a player needs to be worked harder in order to get his fitness levels back up. Um, now, if you take you know, your own personal trainer, 
to Dubai for a week and do stuff which is completely unprescribed and not on <clears throat> the club's training uh, schedule for you, how are the clubs supposed to then recompensate or to compensate for that? Because they've got no idea what you've been doing, or very little, I suppose, because you're not doing, you're not submitting your biometrics back to them. And therefore, you could be putting yourself in more danger of, of another injury. It just seems strange that, uh, you know, a club as big as Manchester United, or any club for that matter in the Premier League, who are paying, as I said, huge amounts of money for this kind of software development, would allow a player to do that on their own anyway. I, w- I would expect in this case that Manchester United are on board with what Pogba's doing. But um, what I do know is in the past they haven't been on board with it and Pogba has has c- continued using a personal trainer against the wishes of the of the staff, um, and as I said, caused a huge problem in that in that pivotal second season. So, it's um, yeah, it, it's a broad issue, and it's not just Manchester United. It's not just Paul Pogba. It's um, a number um, of of significant players, um, and uh, a lot of clubs in the Premier League have issues with that these days. And so to almost uh, bizarrely answer my own question, Duncan, um, I did say that I'd mentioned the Chelsea situation under Andre Villas-Boas. Uh, when he was manager, um, the players, especially the very, very strong leadership group, which is now uh, almost anecdotally kind of uh, universally known for uh, getting managers sacked, including John <laughs> Terry, Peter Cech, Ashley Cole, Frank Lampard, Didi Drogba. Uh, they had they basically ran that dressing room. And uh, I remember at the time I was told that um, I think it was an away Champions League match at Roma, that Ashley Cole had been called to AVB's uh, room at the hotel and told very bluntly that he was being dropped. And Ashley Cole, of course, was a member of that leadership group and one of the you know, strong influences of the room. Furiously went back and told his teammates that this was happening. There was a revolt there and then. Um, the word got back to Roman Abramovich, who was extremely um, f- uh, mad about the fact that players were snitching and although he'd be, I think he'd gotten used to it to be fair Abraham used to go around to those players' houses and ask them questions um, about why a player's not playing in the right position or you know what's the manager doing in training that means we're not getting the right results etc so he kind of fostered that relationship mm. with his, his, lead, his leading players in the dressing room so um, he sacked uh, AVB he went down to the training ground in Cobham um, and then put the squad together and pointed fingers each one of the ones he knew was the reason why he had to sack the manager and said to them, you take responsibility. I've had to sack a good man today, but it's not it's not because of him. It's because of you. And if you don't start getting results and you don't start to make the difference on the pitch, then you'll be next. Now, so that's at least the, the um, actions of, of an owner chairman um, taking responsibility for his manager being sacked not the players taking responsibility, although you have to admit they did go and win the Champions League that season. So, so maybe, maybe it had a good effect on them as a as a, as a group. But you know, as I said, it's very very uh, unusual that um, the player power won't prevail in the end. Maybe it's possible to get players to take responsibility for those periods sufficient to to win a Champions League if you're a Russian oligarch and one of the uh, the richest, most influential men in the world. I think I'd be scared if he was telling me that I'm next. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think that's I think I would be just a little bit scared. That's a story for another day. Let's talk a little bit about the international football, Duncan. It's not exactly inspiring. 
But um, we should have a look at the fact, because we talked about this a lot in the podcast in terms of the quality uh, or, or lack of form um, of England's elite defenders. And certainly, Gareth Southgate seems to be you know, uh, telling us the cry was no defenders, uh, given the, the heavy suggestion that he's going to be um, playing Tyrone Mings in central defence for his first cap for his country. A guy who's only played eight Premier League matches for Aston Villa uh, and was playing the Championship six months ago. Uh, has it gotten this desperate now that John Stones is obviously so out of form that um, Keane doesn't look like he is in any way comfortable beside Harry Maguire? That, um, and this is no disrespect to Mings. He's had a, quite a decent season so far for Aston Villa. But you know, it doesn't suggest the kind of, um, let's just say, that elite quality which uh, everyone was talking about with this young England team under Southgate uh, just last year in the World Cup. It doesn't really seem as, you know, as, well... It's it, it's certainly not as solid as it was. That's for sure. Yeah, I think um, I think our, our friend Johnny Northcroft um, <laughs> highlighted all of this when we had a discussion about whether um, England were good enough to win the Euros um, on Friday's podcast. And and the thing he picked on was the defending, um, and and you know quite an interesting discussion and argument that he actually feels this England team has gone backwards from the World Cup because um, they don't have that solid defensive base anymore. Um, and uh, yeah, he wrote a nice piece for the Sunday Times, which I'd, I'd recommend reading, pointing out that for the Czech Republic game, they played two um, relatively slow um, centre-backs alongside each other in, in Keenan Maguire, and then two um, sort of relatively static defensive players um, in front of them. Uh, in Henderson and Rice, and uh, and there wasn't any kind of fluidity uh, and passing quality coming from the defence, and uh, kind of back to the bad old days of uh, of England um, setups and formations. Um, uh, also pointed out that you know Keane is struggling at Everton uh, for form and confidence, and and as he put it, Harry Harry Maguire has a bad case of the Manchester United. Um, so I, I think there are, there are definite issues there, and um, you there obviously needs to be a change. Um, and it would seem that it's interesting that uh, that Southgate looks like he's going for Tyrone Mings because you would think the change to pursue would be um, to play Joe Gomez um, at centre back. Um, I know Gomez hasn't been playing a lot of football for Liverpool because. Joe Matip's been in such good form um, there and, and Klopp hasn't wanted to break up that centre-back partnership with Virgil van Dijk. But uh, Gomez certainly has the pace um, and has shown um, in his Liverpool career to date that he, he has the potential, I think, to be a better defender than, than Harry Maguire. Um, you know, he can t- because he has those attributes, I think he could turn into and develop into a better defender down the line. Um, obviously, the question mark could be, has he fully recovered from that quite serious um, injury he suffered last season? And is the reason he's not playing as much football for Liverpool also linked um, to an idea that Klopp has that he, he hasn't quite um, returned to that player he was? But... Um, he seems the obvious candidate, um, given that you've got two centre-backs who's been playing, who, who lack confidence and, and 
and in my view, are never going to be top centre-backs anyway. Um, the player who is probably the classier um, and faster individual um, who would seem to be the, the obvious choice at centre-back, John Stones, is struggling um, at club level. Um, you'd think Gomez would be a line uh, to try for Southgate. It will be interesting when we obviously return to the podcast on Wednesday to see exactly how that goes for England um, in Bulgaria on this Monday evening. Time for us now to turn our attentions, because it is Monday, of course, his pod, to heroes and villains. Um, I've got a hero, but I'm not, I'm not sure if Duncan's got his villain status up to, to speak. Phil, is that right? Duncan, are you going to give us an excuse today or, or any ideas? Yeah, I've decided uh, uh, in in the spirit of peace and goodwill, I'm going. I'm not going to name a villain this week. Um, uh, yeah, unbelievable. Exactly. Where does this peace and goodwill come from? Is it Christmas? I've not noticed. I spent a bit of time at home with the family, and uh, ah, there we must go. be that. Oh, uh, how were the butterflies? <laughs> Beautiful as ever. Good, good. All pinned and mounted, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> I'm going to name I'm my not, hero. I'm not. I'm not David Dick. I would never. You're not. You're not. I would never pin and, him. And, 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 neither, and neither is he. <laughs> well, I'm going to name my hero uh, as, uh, and it is football related. You'll be glad to know, former Chelsea and Arsenal goalkeeper Peter Cech. If you haven't seen it, then please search it online. Uh, made his ice hockey debut for the Guildford Phoenix uh, on the, uh, this weekend against Swindon Wildcats in National <laughs> League One South. Uh, he showed that despite the fact he's retired from football, he's not lost any of his cat-like skills because the game went to a penalty shootout. And just as he did in the Allianz Arena in 2012 against Bayern Munich, he made the winning save from a penalty. Petr Cech, we salute you. A man who of great sporting integrity and, of course, talent as well because he switched codes at the age of 38. <laughs> Nice one, Petter. Uh, Duncan, I, w- I was going to throw one out to you for a villain, but I, I don't want to destroy your peace and goodwill. But I would like to point out, as part of our follow-up to uh, Wagro last week and Wagatha Christie, that apparently Jamie Vardy has deleted Wayne Rooney uh, from following him on social media because he feels his wife was hung out to dry by Rooney's wife, Colleen. So maybe we could have just throw a little bit of villainy in there on Jamie's part because, you know, there's got to be a union of strikers, surely, especially when you both played for England. Listen, we'd love to uh, keep in touch with you, as you know, and if you want to continue the debate on all the topics we've discussed today, as well as the news stories that we've brought to you, then please get in touch at Transfer Podcast uh, on Twitter, at Duncan Castles and at Garbo SJ for me. Uh, thank you very much for listening. And if you enjoyed what you heard, as ever, please go on to iTunes, give us a five-star review, and that enlarges our community in ways that you will all feel the benefit of. For me and from Duncan, all that's left to say is uh, we will see you through the transfer window on Wednesday. Thank you for listening. 